Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinny Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you never opened a Bible or read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be the breath of the Lord. Let's begin in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, beginning in the 19th verse, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Verse 22 told us, And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. The wording of this verse is very important. He breathed on them. He didn't just lay hands on them or speak to them. He breathed. And this was for a reason. This isn't the only time that we find the Lord breathing on someone. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 tells us, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Although we find the same act of the Lord breathing, we find very different circumstances. The commentator Matthew Henry said about Jesus breathing on the disciples. He breathed on them, not only to show them by his breath of life that he himself was really alive, but to signify to them the spiritual life and power which they should receive from him. As the breath of the Almighty gave life to man and began the old world, so the breath of the mighty Savior gave life to his ministers and began a new world. When the Lord breathes, he communicates life. It's the vehicle by which he imparts it. Job chapter 33 and verse 4 says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. There's an important difference in the Lord breathing on Adam and Jesus breathing on the disciples. When the Lord breathed on Adam, Adam had just been created as a body. He had just been formed out of the dust, but he was still a lifeless body. He was just material. There was nothing immaterial in him. When the Lord breathed on him, he gave him a soul. Verse 7 said, And man became a living soul. Now man had all those things that come with a soul. He had a working mind, which came with intellect and reasoning. And he had a working heart, which came with emotions and compassion. We know the importance of breath, even in our own lives. If oxygen doesn't get to our brain or to our hearts or to any other organ of our body, they shut down. Because without breath getting to them, 
They can't operate or function properly because life's not getting to them. The body won't function without breath. When the Lord breathed on Adam, his mind and heart began to operate. They were infused with life. We find very different circumstances when dealing with the disciples. The disciples were already alive. They had functioning bodies, and they had functioning souls. What they were missing was the use of their spirit. Everyone has a spirit, soul, and body. This is the way God has designed us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 tells us, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our spirit is the part of us that connects with God. It's our conscience, our intuition, and it's the part of us that's active when we're talking to and hearing from God. This part of our life, although it makes up a third of who we really are, lies dormant before we're born again. It goes unused and unutilized because it's not understood and it's not appreciated. Over time, our spirit becomes desensitized from lack of use. Soon we can't feel our conscience either warning or affirming our actions. We can't discern through intuition what God is saying, and we can't make out God's voice speaking to us. This causes a person to end up in a place of being physically alive, but spiritually dead. Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. When we become born again, he gives us a new spirit and places the Holy Spirit within us. When Jesus breathed on the disciples, he was infusing them with the Holy Ghost. He was giving them a new spirit, the same way he had given Adam a soul. He did this because it's within our spirit that the Holy Spirit resides. Now they were complete, body, soul, and spirit, all actively being used. This was part of his mission for the restoration of all things, and it was part of the new creation. He restored their formerly dead spirit, and he was creating new life in them. This verse, although it may not seem like it at first glance, is a parallel passage to when the Lord breathed on Adam. He was renewing and recreating his disciples, and he did the same thing for us when we were born again. He breathed on us, and we received the Holy Spirit, and were given a new spirit within us. Now we can hear God speaking to us. Now we have our intuition restored, and now we can discern our conscience speaking. This is how he revived us from spiritual death, and now because of his breathing, we've been made alive, truly alive. And not only for the here and now, but alive forever. His breath is the only thing that makes this possible. This is why understanding his breath is critical to understanding the mission that he's given us. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37. In Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning in the first verse, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. 
And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. In this chapter, we find Ezekiel talking about the valley of dry bones. There was death in this valley. There was just material, just bones. There was no spirit, nothing immaterial. And we find most of the world in the same state today. When we go out into the world, we're in the valley of dry bones. There are people all around us who are physically alive, but spiritually dead. These are people who need to be born again, people who need their spirit to be revived, and people who need to receive the Holy Spirit for themselves. The second half of verse 11 said, Our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. This is the state of the people in the world today. This is the state of people who haven't received salvation yet. They feel cut off because they're missing that special connection to God in their spirit. Their hope is lost because they don't have Christ, and without Christ, there is no hope. And their bones are dry because they haven't experienced living water and haven't been cleansed by the water of the Word of God. Even though this is the state of the world around us, verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. God is going to breathe on this world again. He's going to breathe on our country again. And he's going to breathe on our families and on our generation again. The bones are dry, and understanding their dryness is important. Materials that are dry make better kindling for fires. There's spiritual dryness in the world right now, unlike ever before. But as bad as it may seem to our natural mind, it's actually perfectly setting the stage for the work of the Lord that's about to spring forth. This dryness is kindling, and as soon as the Lord breathes the Holy Spirit into these people's lives, it's going to start a fire for the Lord like we've never seen. A blaze will be kindled that no devil in hell will be able to quench. Verse 8 said, And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. This is the same as we saw with Adam. He had a physical body and all that came with it, but the body had no life in it, 
There wasn't anything to animate it. There wasn't any breath yet. Then in verse 10, we find a change. It says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. As soon as the breath of the Lord came into them, just like Adam, they stood up. They were now fully living creatures, and he does the same with us when he breathes into us. He makes us new creatures in Christ Jesus. But how can we outwardly tell that the Lord has breathed life into someone who was previously spiritually dead? The answer is that there will be a change, a change that can't be missed. The phrase stood up in verse 10 is interesting. It means more than just literal standing up. In the Hebrew, it means to take one's stand. The lexicon goes on to say that it means to be in a standing attitude, to take a stand against, to present oneself before, to attend upon, to become the servant of, to endure, be steadfast, persist, to hold one's ground, to take one's stand in covenant. These all speak to more than just a literal standing up. These things are speaking about spiritual standing. This is the change that will come about. When the Lord breathes into a person's life and they receive it, they become a servant of God. They become attentive to God and to the things of God, and they present themselves before Him as they make a personal covenant with Him, by which they give their lives to Him. It means that they take a stand for Christ, and that they hold their ground no matter what the enemy or those in the world have to say about it. And it means that they endure and remain steadfast throughout all the attacks and all the persecution that comes their way. They're made into soldiers in the army of the Lord, which is why Ezekiel said, they stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. It's the breath that continually gives us life throughout our entire journey of faith as the Holy Spirit that was breathed into us continually guides us and strengthens us. Ephesians 6 and 13 says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. When we've been infused with the Lord's breath and His Spirit, we have the strength and the courage to stand no matter what, as an army prepared to come against the enemy in His territory. When we go out into the world and talk to those who haven't yet been saved, we're in the devil's territory. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. The devil is the God of this world. It's his territory. But since the Lord has breathed into us, we now have the strength and the power to go into his territory and take back the people who rightfully belong to God. The Lord has called us and set us apart to be a vehicle for which he breathes on the spiritually dead people around us. But how can we do this? How can we give people the breath of the Lord? Today we have the means to do this. We're holding it in our hands. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 to 17 tell us, in the English Standard Version, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He breathes out his word. When we give them the word and they hear it, the Lord is breathing into their life. There's a special connection between the word and his breath. Psalm 33 and 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, 
and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. The word is the vehicle for which he breathes upon us, and he does it continually as we read and study it. And the more we tell others the word, the more he breathes into their life. The same way that breath is what brings life in the natural realm, the word brings spiritual life. It awakens and strengthens our spirit. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, beginning in the fifth verse, it says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And other fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that have ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Verse 11 said, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Seeds have life within them. When we give the word of God to others, we're planting a seed in their life, and that seed is alive. And now they have a seed of spiritual life within them. The difference is in the condition of the soil. A seed needs to have the right soil in order to grow and to flourish. If their heart is the right soil, and if the seed goes down into their heart and takes root, it will produce fruit. At first, while the seed is taking root, you don't see anything taking place outwardly. It's going on underground, where only God can see it. When the seed of the word goes into a person's heart, at first there may not be any outward change. They may still think the same, talk the same, and act the same. But inwardly, the seed is taking root. When a seed is planted in the natural, it sometimes takes months for it to take root and to sprout up, and even more time for it to then produce fruit. We may become discouraged when we're telling someone about the word of God, and we see no outward change in their life. But we don't know what's going on inside, within their heart. The word may be taking root and getting ready to sprout up. Isaiah 37 and 31 says, And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. We can't become discouraged when we can't see the roots being formed. We need to have faith and trust God that he's continually breathing into their life. And the more we spread the word, the more seeds are planted, and the more they are rooted downward into that person's life. Sometimes we'll feel disheartened. It's inevitable, because our natural mind is constantly looking for outward results. But we can't let this tool of the enemy cause us to stop giving the word. We need to continue on, because the fruit of our labor is coming if we just stay faithful. Over time, the roots cause the seed to sprout forth. A sprouted seed may appear to just look like a tiny plant, and it's the same in the spiritual. Soon we may find that there may be small changes in a person's speech or behavior, as their lives are being realigned to be in accordance with God's word. We may start to see little outward hints that God is working in their lives, and then these hints start to come more and more frequently as the seed begins to blossom and to flourish, 
and then eventually as time progresses, we see the change more fully as they go on to produce fruit of their own. Every one of us has been called to have a ministry of giving the word of God to those around us. We're called to be sowers in the field, continually sowing the seeds in people's lives. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. If we stay faithful in planting, God will bless our labor and he will give the increase. He will breathe upon the dry bones around us. We can't allow our natural mind to see the dryness around us and not want to sow. We can't allow the enemy to lie to us and tell us that it's not worth sowing, that it won't make any difference. These things aren't true. And as the saying goes, we need to walk by faith, not by sight. Luke 17 and 20 tells us, And then he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. We can't rely on observation. We need to rely on inward discernment. And when we're actively listening to the Holy Spirit, He will urge us on, encouraging us to continue to sow and not to be weary in well-doing. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 4-6 to tell us, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God, who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. We don't know which seeds will fall on the good soil and will take root and produce fruit. So we need to look past what we see in the natural and continue to allow ourselves to be used by God so that he can breathe on this generation. The Lord will use us greatly in the harvest that is about to come if we only allow him to work through us. The same word that we are called to give to those spiritually dead and dry people around us is the same thing that the Lord told Ezekiel to tell those who had lost their hope and were cut off. Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 12 to 14 say, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, and cause you to come up out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I the Lord have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. The Lord is going to breathe upon his people again, and he's going to infuse us with new life and new power and new strength. It's time for the dry bones to arise, and our willingness to spread the word can be the very thing that makes this happen. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you breathed upon us. Lord, when we were in that place of being spiritually dry and spiritually dead, we thank you that you didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but that you stepped in and breathed upon us and brought new life to us. Lord, we thank you that you have infused us with the Holy Spirit, that you put a new spirit within us so that we could talk to and hear from you and discern your voice through our intuition and discern your warnings through our conscience. And Lord, for all those around us who are in that same place of being spiritually dry and spiritually dead, we thank you that you have proclaimed liberty to them 
that you would proclaim that you were going to open their graves and bring them up to be an exceeding great army for you, that you were going to make a covenant again with them so that they can give their lives to you. And Lord, we thank you that as we try our best to stay faithful in planting the seed of your word in their life, that you will work through us as your vessel to breathe upon them and to give them the living water that they truly need so that they can be cleansed by the water of your word. Lord, we thank you for the great move of God that we can feel that is coming. It's right upon us. It's about to spring forth. And we thank you that you've given us such a critical role in that. Lord, we thank you that you're going to breathe upon our communities again. You're going to breathe upon our families, upon our generation, upon our nation, and upon our world yet again. Lord, we thank you for all those times that you breathed upon us in the past. We thank you for all those times that you have set apart that you're going to breathe upon us in the future. And Lord, we thank you that you're breathing upon us right now. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want the Lord to breathe upon you and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe, so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.